Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 167. It's like honey joys for your ears. My name is Josh Canal. Making crinkly, crispy sounds in there, so you yeah, can't I, I should point out, else. don't actually put honey joys in your ears. No, no, no it's like it's a simile. I know, but some it's people, not a metaphor. Some, some people get similes and metaphors confused. I don't want the people at home shoving honey joys in their ears because they'll just sue us. You know what people are like. To my left, half man, half werewolf, half biscuit. One John, of the half things. John Richards. <laughs> Hello, listener. And to my right. All man, and yet also all mummy, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Of course, this... Uh, well, what sort but, of mummy? What? <laughs> not not like a yummy mummy. Like a, an Egyptian mummy. I think yummy you're a yummy mummy. mummy. I, I can't think of a, a more sanitised uh, phrase that, 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 that... No, that's not what I mean. He, he could have called you a I, milf. I can't think of a sanitised phrase that more annoys me. Yes. Than a yummy mummy. Yeah. Right. Well, suffer. What? The, we uh, can't say MILF? We it's got to be yummy mummy. Freaking infantile. We can say MILF, but then that doesn't work with me calling you a mummy. No. See, jo- no. John's, John's werewolf. <laughs> Sorry, I, for, I forgot about mummy. you calling me a mummy. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a show about just television. Just annoyed about yummy mummies. And this week we have a guest, Narelle Harris. Narelle M. Harris. Noted author of vampire novel. Narelle M. Harris. Yes, yes. Oh, that yeah. one. Yeah, that one. Uh, to talk about vampire television shows, hence the werewolf mummy thing that, you know, would have gone really smoothly <laughs> if Brett hadn't been once again distracted by MILFs. <laughs> so she's coming in to, to talk about uh, vampire uh, television shows. Then we're also going to get her to stick around and talk about a new show from Britain called Demons, which may or may not feature vampires. It does. It does feature vampires. May or may not <laughs> feature vampires. Uh, we've got an I don't buy it. We've got some letters to box cutters. We've got a tiny, tiny bit of pork. In fact, uh, listener supplied I don't buy it. Uh, yes, a listener supplied I don't buy it. And we've also got some listener supplied news. It's great. We, we'd like to encourage if, if more listeners want to write our material for us. It's so much easier. It's, it's mm. the, le- the less work we have to do. It's quite lovely. I Just, think it must uh, be a product of the frustration of people, of listeners trying to comment uh, uh, who are now providing us I content. Did, I did want to, want to say that. I had no idea. It, it was working on Internet Explorer 7 when we set it up uh, a while back, and then suddenly the commenting system stopped working mm. on Internet Explorer 7. Every other browser, not a problem at all. IE7, it just went a little bit wacky. So we've turned off the Discuss commenting system at the moment. Uh, also means that you can't comment using your Facebook login, which is a, a shame, but I'm going to work on it, try to get it back up and running for next week's show with any luck. As always, though, let's kick things off with the Box Cutters News. And now for the news. After the amazing success of the second series of... What? Underbelly, the prequel to the first series of Underbelly. Have I missed that? Has that been and gone already? <laughs> no, That's something shown in Tasmania, I assume, for some sort of legal reason. Is that, is that what's happening? Yeah, with apparently. Well, uh, work has already started on a third series of the Underbelly 
uh, what's the variety term for it? Skein. Skein. Yeah, I don't think we should necessarily use variety terms. <laughs> I, I don't want to encourage that kind of behaviour. Uh, the prequel second season of Underbelly uh, actually begins next Monday night at 8.30 is the double episode. Uh, so I guess that'll be two hours. And uh, there's, there's perhaps... Plus ads. A, uh, ...a possibility that we'll be seeing the third series before the end of the year. Right, mm. and what? Do, any any suggestion of what they're going to cover in in the first? Are they going even further back in in history? Are they they going to talk about uh, the uh, notorious uh, Squizzy Taylor? It's just old episodes of Homicide. They've just changed the credits <laughs> and put them on, hoping we won't notice. Actually, no. I, they, they are going forwards from the second series, uh, which does uh, kind of lead into the trap, possibly, of uh, episode three of Star Wars, where nothing was surprising because you know you knew that uh, you knew who was going to survive the big battle sequences. And it was boring. But uh, <laughs> that as well. Um, it explores the corruption of the New South Wales and Victorian police forces throughout the 1980s and the clean-up job that started in the early 90s. Hang on. So a lot of leg warmers, a lot of Cindy Lauper on the soundtrack. It'd be great. A, a lot of just stealing material from Blue Murder, it seems like. Yeah. Victoria. What? what? That, that, that's it. Victoria, because Blue Murder was New South Wales. Yeah, well, this is New South, New South Wales and Victoria. And Victoria. Ah, yeah. Quite different. There was, there was some Victoria in Blue Murder. Uh, Tony Martin. More Victorian architecture. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, nice. We don't really have much Victorian architecture in Victoria. Have you noticed? Right, that's all Tasmanian. Yep. <laughs> um, I've got a completely unrelated piece of news, but this is the one that interested me most from the last week. Um, as, as anyone who's been... Yeah, and having messages left on the answering machines in America may have got a robocall, it is called, from Nancy Cartwright, voice of Bart Simpson, promoting a Scientology sort of convention called Flag the Mecca of Technical Perfection World Tour event. Hang on, I, I prefer to think of her as the secretary from Herman's Head. Herman's Head. So people got a message from the secretary from Herman's Head on their answering machines. It sounded a little bit like this. I believe we have a, an audio file oh, of it. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. So, so sweet. Seamless. Uh, it's like it's like he's been doing radio for years, John. <laughs> no, I didn't even think of uh, of what you of paying me. attention. Yeah. You didn't even um, think it's of paying the attention. Audio file been... marked Nancy Cartwright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got the, but I do have a very slow <laughs> laptop. Uh, if only I could say slow a little bit slower, and maybe I'd have more time to uh, actually get into the Do you want me to do a new story? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do well, a story. Do well, a story. Uh, BBC... Because I won't be able to do another story for another five minutes. <laughs> It'll take me that long to get the page back up. F- further to our uh, conversation about the uh, Channel 4 being sold to Channel 5 in the UK and uh, and us thinking that's a really strange thing for them to do. It couldn't be more different. Uh, the UK government has released a, uh, a report called the Digital Britain Report. Uh, which sounds <laughs> that rude, sounds rude, but but isn't. It was published last Thursday, uh, and it thinks that uh, they should create a public service content company. Uh, they uh, they think that Channel Four should be joined with BBC Worldwide, which was one of the uh, original ideas, and it's the idea that Channel Four favours, uh, and will uh, will produce a uh, a company that will brand itself as new entertainment media for the world coming out of Britain. Uh, 
it would be this is uh, Stephen Carter, the uh, broadcasting minister. So he's uh, the UK's equivalent of Conroy. It would be a body with public service at its heart, but one which is able to develop flexible and innovative partnerships with the wider private and public sector. That's what he said in the report. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, uh, the C4 just isn't getting any advertising. Uh, and uh, the report added that... Uh, oh, no, so this is now Carter saying it's, it's so confusing. I, he speaks just like the report, so it's it's very hard to tell who's <laughs> but, saying what. The word sector, my brain automatically shut down. I know. For the public, the viewing experience would be the same or better than today, but as a sustainable part of a wider whole, operating successfully across the whole range of digital devices and platforms. So what they're essentially doing is they're going to move Channel 4 into what we in Australia know as Freeview. <laughs> It, it does. It sounds to me like a, a whole lot of uh, of hot air, but at least it won't be swallowed up by Channel Five, and maybe their creative team can continue on with some good funding from a commercial perspective. And he did say wider hole. He did. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah. Uh, now, do we, do we have Nancy Cartwright's robocall? No. 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 Okay. Not at this point. Do you want to give me give me your your thing? Give me your key. Yeah, ring. that, that oh, may well be. Yeah, we're going to do it the old fashioned way. Anyway, um, meanwhile. Let's talk about the A-Team. We've been talking the last few weeks about hey. various uh, film versions of television shows, one that we didn't mention, and Variety announced this week. Apparently, the A-Team film is going ahead. Ridley Scott and Tony Scott will be producing it. Um, Joe Carnahan, the man behind NARC and Smoking Aces, will direct and co-script. It's going to come oh. out June of 2010. Smoking Aces was one of the worst films of that year. I've never actually heard of it. I just read it out loud thinking, I'll sound like I know what I'm talking about, and people will believe me. So yeah, 2010 in June, you'll be able to see that if the plan all comes together. Uh, do you Love have any- it when a plan comes together. <laughs> do you? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. nice. Brett, uh, do you have a plan for some news? Uh, uh, could, could you... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, wa- I wasn't joking about my <laughs> Technology has let uh, us down. Well, what, uh, what have you got about Nancy Cartwright? Uh, uh, apparently you've got a, a story about Nancy Cartwright. Are you, are you up do now? I, I, do, I do have a story about Nancy Cartwright. Yeah, so um, uh, Nancy Cartwright, robocall. I just want to say robocall again because that sounds brilliant. People uh, in America. Just like the, uh, the John Howard robocalls I before say, the last I election. I was about to say it was illegal here and they remember the course that John Howard did it, so presumably it isn't illegal. It's no, no, just no, stupid. It's, it's, it's illegal. only not illegal if it's a... a, a politician. A, oh, seriously? A political yes. party, yeah. So only John Howard was allowed to do it. Yes. That's weird. Anyway, Nancy Cartwright robocalls were coming out, which sounds a little bit like this. It's a bit freaky. Hey, what's happening, man? This is Bart Simpson. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't hang up. This is Nancy Cartwright, and this is a very special phone call to you. I'm now auditing on New OT7, and have been asked to speak at the Flag World Tour event on January 31st in the Grand Ballroom at the Hollywood and Highland Center at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be a blast, man. <laughs> I'll be there to share my many wins as a solo knots auditor and to see the golden era film presentation of Flag, the mecca of technical perfection. I hope you can make it, man. To confirm for the Flag event, please call us back at 888 A solo nuts auditor. Was that what she said? I don't actually understand half the words. Solar solar knots, I thought it was. But she's she's auditing on OT7. So she is an operating... She, she's at the... She's auditing at the level uh, of operating Thetan 7. Right. So so I think I think the, the gist of it was she got a promotion 
to <laughs> OT7 and is now allowed to give this talk at uh, raise the flag for your solenoid. That flag, the mecca of technical perfection, which it's, it, everything about that. Is, none of these words make sense to me in that order. Um, well, it, you know, in Dianetics, they say if the words don't make sense to you, if you think you know what they mean, but you're not entirely sure, look them up. Because also in Dianetics, they might mean something different to what you're used to. Okay. Anyway, so obviously that that has caused a little bit of annoyance, I believe, at the uh, the, the Simpson producers. She does say it's Nancy Cartwright, but obviously she's she's doing Bart's voice and the, the catchphrases. Uh, off, off and, and on. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very strange. Um, the Simpsons uh, have come out with a statement. Uh, executive producer Al Jean has issued a statement saying, The Simpsons does, does not and never has endorsed any religion, philosophy or system of beliefs any more profound than Butterfinger bars. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, he also got a product placement in there. Well done. So, yeah, that's very odd. Very mm. odd call there mm. from... From Nancy Cartwright. What, what about now, Brett? Have in you got some news now? In the United States, the ABC has greenlit a pilot for V, uh, the 80s series that uh, we actually spoke to Jane Badler about a few weeks ago. Oh, so, yeah, who was in that? Who was in that show? I can't remember. V? There was that woman. Yeah. Uh, J. Jane. Someone. Something. Yeah. So, what else? What's this show? The. V. Uh, five. It's five. It's pronounced five. <laughs> uh, it's uh, based on the 1980s miniseries about alien lizards coming to Earth. Uh, this new adaptation was written by the 4400 co-creator, exec producer, Scott Peters, um, and centres on Erica Evans, a homeland security agent with a nameless son. What, what a surprise that they're going to turn Nazis into terrorists. Well, yes, it's, it's the tension within the family when her son falls for the aliens' talk of coming in peace despite their distinctly unpeace-like plans. Because you can't trust foreigners. That's what we learned from That's, this series, uh, I yeah, believe. You know what? I'd, I'd much rather watch Mars Attacks again, I think. Unless Jane Badler was in it, in which case I'd watch it a thousand times over. Uh, John Mitzi actually sent in a link yes, to the story as well from io9. So thank you very much for that, John. Yeah, he, uh, he, he brought this to our attention first. First with the news, John uh, Mitzi. I also want to mention the io9 thing says uh, uh, this line here. Um, it revamps the original show's Nazi metaphors into something a little bit more contemporary because there's nothing more 80s than Nazis. I know. <laughs> How 80s is that? I know. It's ridiculous. What have you got, Josh? Uh, I've got uh, problems akin to uh, Brett's. <laughs> no, I've got uh, NBC are doing another series based on the uh, Brian Grazer produced, Ron Howard directed film, Parenthood. Ah. They first did one in 1990, two years after uh, Parenthood. Uh, the uh, much was loved uh, TV series of Parenthood that uh, continued on for 14 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, they no? had one series uh, starred ah. Ed Begley Jr. and uh, and no one really ever heard of it. So no one watched it in 1990. So obviously now is the time. Now is the time. Uh, so the new part for Parenthood uh, is being adapted by. Friday Night Lights writer and executive producer Jason Katerns or Katims. It's hard to tell when an R and an M go together and mm. then I uh, misretype it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it's going to be an hour-long comedy drama, interestingly not called a dramedy, uh, and will retain the tone of the movie, apparently. Uh, but Rick Moranis but isn't going to be in it. Steve just Martin's not going to be in it. Not just, even the plot. Not even no, the characters. No, just the tone. Just Only the, the tone. Just the tone. And this... Uh, it's this, set on an aircraft carrier now. 
This article from, from Variety, which doesn't sound very Variety, because as I said, they called it a comedy drama, not a dramedy. Or a comma Or a comma <laughs> They also say, uh, we'll centre on the modern challenges that come with raising kids in this post-Facebook, post-iPod world. I would have thought this is just the Facebook iPod world. No, no, no. Because it's, it's, it, it, Facebook and iPod haven't finished No, but this yet. is set in a post-Facebook, post-iPod world. It's set in the future. In oh, which, like Mad Max. Uh, yes, like Mad Max. Um, all technology has been destroyed and they're on an um, aircraft carrier. Oh, right. <laughs> which nice. is all that's left. Nice. Uh, so that's, uh, that's but parenthood. But the tone is uncanny. I recognise the tone. Hey, it's, uh, it, it is going to be produced again by Brian Grazer and, uh, and Ron Howard and there's been no talk as to whether Ron Howard will be... Uh, Directing or well, having will anything Ed else to do. Jr. be back? Because I'm looking forward I d- to it. I doubt it. Speaking of aircraft carriers, uh, something that we mentioned last week was... Uh, <laughs> You're so good at segues. The original Stig was uh, pushed off an aircraft carrier, apparently. Uh, it has come to light over the week that Top Gear actually employs no fewer than eight different Stigs. Well, all, all acting as eight. the Stig. No fewer than eight. That's a lot of Stigs. Uh, it's pronounced V-I-I-I. <laughs> <laughs> as I mentioned last week, Ben Collins, the uh, Bristol-based former American speedway driver and stuntman who uh, worked on the latest J- James Bond film. Uh, Heike Kovalainen, who's a 27-year-old Finnish Formula One McLaren driver, uh, apparently uh, still... Still uh, driving in the competition at the moment. Forty-one-year-old uh, GT World Championship racing driver Chris Goodwin, forty-seven-year-old uh, Julian Bailey, who's a former Formula One driver, a stunt driver Terry Grant, stunt driver Russ Swift, Dan Lang. A Swedish I feel snow- dirty now. You're kind of outing them all. <laughs> and, it just feels really weird. And Dan Lang, a Swedish snowmobile racing champion, who uh, did a stunt driving a snowmobile off a ski jump. And hey, kids, there's no Santa Claus. Well, Have yes, a nice night. Strangely enough, uh, uh, BBC's reaction to it is uh, it's, it's a little like talking about Santa. That's, yeah, that's just really odd. <laughs> it, is, it is odd. It's a very odd thing. Um, so, uh, so, so maybe it was one of those sticks that came out for the Australian Top Gear, or maybe it was just uh, maybe somebody all, random. Maybe all eight of them came out, and that's where they blew their budget. Maybe it was Ellen Too Moffat. many sticks. As the old saying goes. Um, Nerida uh, also emailed in a story. This is from Crikey. Um, look, it's quite a long story. You can find it on the Crikey website. Commercial TV revenue falls into a hole. The, the basic gist of it is that commercial TV revenue has fallen into a hole. Um, the figures and, it, and it can't get out. Can't get out. It's trapped. Figures from Free TV, Australia compiled by KPMG, show the TV advertising revenues across the country have gone down 4.3%. Um, most of that happening in the metro market where... Um, 5.79% fall in Sydney, Melbourne down 4.29%. So it effectively means the future is those two series of underbelly and then taken out every night for the rest of our lives. Oh, at long last. <laughs> and it's your dream come true. It, it really is. And coming off the back of that, uh, the uh, NBC network in the US have tried to, uh, to, to improve their ad revenue by cleverly mixing their television show, and an advertisement. Mm. Uh, Saturday Night Live and Pepsi Cola may have found an answer to people skipping through ads by taking the MacGyver parody character, McGruber, uh, which is apparently a Saturday Night Live regular character, Mm -hmm. I've never seen him, uh, and creating sketches that exist within a normal ad break, but are actually ads for Pepsi. 
So uh, they would have ads before them and then McGruber. So it would look like it was Saturday Night Live coming back from an ad. But it's but still an ad. It's still an ad. And then a couple more ads and then more Saturday Night Live. Uh, they did this in two ad breaks. Uh, the ads feature MacGyver star Richard Dean Anderson calling MacGruber a sellout. MacGruber replies by suggesting Anderson call him Pepsuba, which I think is funny. Pepsuba. It's a Pepsi and MacGruber. Mixed. Pepsuba. <laughs> Sounds a bit laboured. You think? Yeah. You think? On the NBC website, the MacGruber sketch ad, which is what I'm calling it, Variety can take that if they want, uh, is preceded by a couple of other real commercials, which I find just fascinating. So not only have they found a way to make people watch ads, they're also getting people to watch ads in <laughs> order to see an ad. ad. That's just genius. Does, does Variety have a term for it? Is it ad vomity or something like that? Do I, they have a- I, I, no, they don't, which is why I'm going with sketch ad. Yeah, yeah. That just sounds too logical. I know. Somehow. What about SCAD? Yeah, that's better. Yeah, yeah. SCAD. 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 And that is SCAD. Box Cutters News. SCAD. Hi, I'm really lucky to be the guest of these funny, gorgeous, sexy, hunky men. This is Jane Badler. You're listening to Box Cutters. And with that, I love that. That is your favourite, It really it? is my favourite. Oh, Jane Badler. Uh, we are joined in the studio... And, and we're very lucky to be joined in the studio by Australian novelist who has written the first in a possible trilogy of vampire novels called The Opposite of Life. Narelle M. Harris is here to talk to us all about vampires in television. Welcome, Narelle. Thank you. Uh, now, you've written a novel uh, and you've got two more in the, in the works for, for this Opposite of Life mm-hmm. series. How much research did you have to do into vampires in order to uh, start this up? I actually didn't do that much. (laughs) Confessions here. What I wanted to do was avoid doing stuff that had been done before. Uh, I watch a fair number of vampire films and I've read books and the TV shows and I was just working on the the stereotypes that we all know about and then tried to not do those because there are lots of people writing about vampire romance and... um, Sexy vampire, and there's it actually all came about because I'd been to see Underworld. And I came out, I thought, you know, it's a it was good fun, but I didn't think it was good. But you know, I was I was had a good time, but I thought, this is ridiculous. Why are vampires always gorgeous and thin and sexy with their hair? And you know, if if ordinary people got bitten by vampires, they'd just be themselves but undead, you know. So I started from that basis and thought, well, I want the least glamorous, most unsexy vampire I can think of and invented Gary the Vampire from Glen Waverley, <laughs> who is short, chubby, who wears Hawaiian shirts and is a total geek and even other vampires don't like him. So, you know, it started from there. And, and so uh, with, with that in mind, uh, do you ever look at, uh, look at different television vampires and just go, well, clearly just, they just haven't tried to be in any way creative? Um, usually there's... Um, some difference. Every person who's writing about vampires is creating their own ways in which they work. Um, so a lot of them, like, they, they go for this, you know, whatever's currently accepted, but, you know, they'll often bring in different aspects as well. But, you know, I, I think it depends the, um, on the audience and the target they're trying to reach that. A lot of people aren't trying to do something really, really different. The, uh, the, the thing I, I notice most with, uh, 
with vampires in, in different shows, is that there are things that are uh, that are considered to be yes, this is a real part of vampire law, uh, and then there are other things that are just picked and, and chosen depending on uh, what kind of uh, what kind of plot device they yeah. require. Yeah, and it, it's it's um, interesting because I mean obviously that's what I've done as well that I've picked the bits that I like. And I've got rid of the things I don't like. But, you know, there's uh, p- people often think the whole vampires burning up on the sun has been a part of vampire legend all along. But in fact, it's a pretty recent innovation for vampires. Uh, <laughs> I, I understand it actually came about with the, the film Nosferatu. That until the, I mean, in, in Bram Stoker's novel of Dracula, Dracula walks around in the daytime without any problem at all. He, he does wear sunglasses in the movie, though. Yeah, well, he's, uh, in, in the book they say that his powers are diminished in the sunlight, but it doesn't burn him. But in, I guess in Nosferatu they were making moral distinctions about the, the good light of sunlight and God's light burning away the evil, and uh, it was an easy way to get rid of the, the villain in the end. Well, and also an easy way to uh, get rid of uh, Bram Stoker's uh, estate trying to sue Murnau for, mm. uh, for using Dracula. Oh, we'll just give him a different name and uh, burn him up in the sun. He's a different vampire. Different vampire. Totally different. Not even related. Still tra- <laughs> travels on a ship. But what are you going to do? Lots of people travel on ships. Well, they didn't, you know, have so many planes around back no. then. So. yeah. What's he going to do, swim the channel? Take that, Stoker. <laughs> well, one of the things about um, my character of Gary is uh, he collects Vampirana. Uh, as in, like, you know, he doesn't sleep. He's got a lot of time on his hands and he doesn't know what to do with himself. So he collects films and TV and books and pop culture about vampires and then spends a lot of time writing up notebooks with notes in the margins about how accurate they are and most of it's just going, not very accurate, you know, laughable. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. So... Um, this could actually be considered research for the next book because this is all stuff that Gary will have in his collection. So, so, so now you are watching lots of television uh, about vampires and you are uh, watching as many movies as, uh, as, as you can get your hands on, I'm, I'm guessing. What have you found to be uh, the most believable vampire series? Um. I'm a huge fan of Ultraviolet. In fact, I've been watching. Um, I've been watching it again in this this last couple of days. Uh, research, it's great. But <laughs> it's it's interesting that in its uh, modern um, take on the whole thing, they're trying to be scientific or at least pseudo scientific about it. The word vampire is never mentioned because it's the love that dare not speak its name. Um, it's called Code Five. The the you know the material, the vampire material, is called Code Five. But the five is a Roman numeral, the V. But they're called leeches them anything but they never use the vampire word right at all but it's it's really well done it's an excellent if you haven't seen it go do that and that's uh, that's from about 1999 mm. isn't it ultraviolet yeah and it's just i think six episodes or eight episodes or so just the very six short. very frustrating and everyone kept waiting for the next season and the guy turned out and turned around and said well no that was all i ever meant to make and we're going but but you know you've got this set up and he's going yeah well yeah but you know what happens next so is, is it uh, more important that uh, a vampire series concentrates on being true to itself, uh, like s- setting up a premise of vampires exist and, and this is what they're like, uh, and then just staying true to that rather than trying to uh, capture what is known uh, around the world as being the myth of the vampire? I, I actually think for a successful series what they need to do is know what what they want it to say because vampirism the way vampires are presented they're always an analogy for something else 
And unless you know what that something else is that you're trying to express, no matter what you make up with your vampires, there's going to be inconsistency, it's probably going to be bad scripts, uh, and you're, going, you're not going to get a good show out of it. Now, Buffy, they had their, their whole universe set up, they had um, a whole meaning um, behind what they were trying to achieve with the series as a whole. They weren't trying to talk about vampires, they are trying to talk about life. Mm-hmm. Ultraviolet actually is a, a, a spy drama almost, um, which uses the, the vampire as the enemy other. Um, now, it actually predates, you know, um, September 11 and the obsession we have with terrorism now, but, um, you know, obviously things were still going on then and there's this whole, are they, aren't they trying to take over the world? Are they good guys or, or bad guys? And this is feeding into some ideas I've been having about how vampires are represented in TV as well and what they stand for. But those six episodes, there's a whole... They spend the six episodes going, are we misunderstanding vampires? They've got the, the young policeman who's just joined the um, the squad and the rest of them are all just, you know, vampires are bad and we just have to kill them all. And this is this young fellow on, you know, on board and he's questioning all of this. So there's this whole six episodes of have they misunderstood vampires? Are they... Is there, in fact, possible to have some kind of truce? We should try to understand their feelings... <laughs> And then you get to the last episode. Nope, nope, they're really trying to kill you all. Well, and <laughs> and, and, this is what I liked about uh, when, when vampires appeared in Supernatural, which is one of my favourite shows uh, on at the moment. I, I don't know if I've mentioned that before, guys. I, I'm quite fond of uh, Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Have I? I can't remember. No? Do you like Lost? I can't remember if you said anything yeah, yeah, about I, that. Yeah, I, I also like Lost. Do you? Yeah, yeah, mm. I like both those shows. No vampires in Lost, but uh, in Not Lost. yet. <laughs> Give it time. <laughs> in Supernatural, uh, th- they go through that same process of they seem so human, the vampires, and they have, uh, they have uh, emotions, and, and can they be saved, or do they all just need to be burnt? And they come to the same conclusion. Just, yes, burn them all. Does that... I was wondering, because yeah, in films, vampires tend to be villains. You know, that in a film, in 90 minutes, a vampire's a villain will try and kill you. You have to kill the vampire. In TV, this redemption theme does seem to be... And I guess your long-form drama, you've got 22 episodes, perhaps, to, to play with. Um, do vampires represent something different in television than they do in film? I, I think they do. And I said, I've got three different sort of concepts, and they kind of intermingle a bit. One of them, certainly for female viewers... There's the whole Beauty and the Beast mythos that if you can tame the beast and get him on your side, then you know it's it's the power of love and yada yada yada. So it's the ultimate bad boy kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. So there is that, and because there's the transgression, because if you can tame the bad boy, there's a certain sexual power for the woman in that as well, and a, and it can be a sexual liberation. And in some um, some books, certainly, then the woman may end up becoming a vampire as well. So she actually um, takes that power for herself. At the same time, so there's there's that kind of element to it. Um, there was the concept. There's the fear or, or um, terror of death, and that if you can either kill it or win it over to your side, then that's a way of defeating death. So of course, if you get the you know death to fall in love with you, so he's not going to kill you, but he's going to kill the other bits of death. Then you know you're looking pretty sunshiny. Uh, and the last one, which um, the ultraviolet was feeding into, was. Um, in in television, and so I mean, I, you know, if they were in life, it would be that too. But you know, vampires are the last bastion of discrimination. You don't have to try and understand their point of view and what their grievances are. They're just bad. They're evil. So it's okay just to kill them all without trying to understand them. Which is which is what we what we get in uh, in True Blood, which uh, I'm not a big fan of. But uh, that vampires are uh, the new blacks of the South, essentially, mm. and uh, and the rednecks want to get rid of the want to get rid of the vampires and, and they are the, the minority 
Yeah, and I mean, I haven't actually seen any of True Blood yet, but I've been reading about it in, a, uh, in advance for this, and it actually is taking that theory to that next step. Because, you know, we used to, we're all used to in films, you know, there used to be westerns and you could just mow down Indians without caring about their rights. And then, you know, we'd learn, oh, that was bad. Yeah, I miss those days. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then it was Russians and the Russians were all just evil communist bastards trying to kill us. So you could just shoot all those down and James Bond could go and kill them all. And then, you know, we had Glasnost and then, okay, well, we've got Colombian drug lords. And then it's now it's Arab terrorists. And, you know, but even with a lot of series now that's trying to, well, you can't just label a whole people with one, you know, bad label. You have to understand where these things are coming from and all that sort of... You have to be understanding. You're not supposed to discriminate. We all understand that as a society now. But, you know, damn, it was fun just picking on people, just shooting them and letting God sort them out. So that's so, where the vampires now come in as the ultimate kind of bad guy. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it used to bother me on Buffy that you had one or two vampires who seemed like real people and everyone else was just cannon fodder. Um, and you know they, you know, you can still pick on vampires, and you don't get in trouble for that because you know they're minions of Satan, and they should die. Is there been any? I'm just curious whether whether you've noticed any patterns of, of like, do, do vampire shows turn up? Like, like you're saying, you know, if you if you use them as these ultimate villains to replace the fact that we can't, you know, just pick on other groups anymore, are there more vampire shows now than there were, or, or are vampire shows just one of those things that they just sort of turn up? There seem to be a lot of them. Um, when I was looking, um, doing some web research, we had, um, I guess, what people think of the, the seminal vampire on TV, which was Dark Shadows with Barnaby Collins. And it was basically just a soap opera with a vampire in it. Um, there's a very, very funny film clip on YouTube with uh, Barnabas talking to some guy about dueling and swords and it's the homoerotic subtext. is just not very sub. <laughs> and, <laughs> so it was quite fun. And that, was, um, that started in 1966. Went to 71. Um, the next time, according to the, the material that I have, the next time you actually see a major vampire series with vampires as central characters in the 1990s. What, what, what about the Groovy Ghoulies? I am forgetting the Groovy Ghoulies. And there is, of course, <laughs> Monster Squad in 1976. And, Mon- yes, and Monster Squad. Which I loved as a kid. And um, I actually have some trivia about Monster Squad, which was that uh, it starred Fred Grandy from The Love Boat. And the, the gentleman who played Dracula... Uh, on IMDb, it notes that his specialties include foreign and regional accents, ballroom dancing, and baritone singing. Oh, good, good on for him. And then uh, you're also... Uh, so, a, yeah, you might have been a bit limited there as Dracula. That's the so, ultimate vampire, though, right, isn't it, really? No. <laughs> Sorry to pull holes in, uh, in, in your research here, but you're, you're also forgetting uh, Grandpa Munster? No, I wasn't forgetting Grandpa Munster, but he wasn't the, the central character. Ah, ah I see. Yes, yeah, Dan corrected. Yeah, Can sorry. Grandpa sorry. Munster's surname's actually Dracula, so Lily... Is the daughter of Dracula, and uh, and then you've got the son, the grandson of Dracula, as well, um, with with Lily's son. So um, vampires pop up all the time, but the first time they actually become central characters again, as I say, is in the 1990s, where you've got um, the Dracula TV series, which went for one season. Um, Dark Shadows was revived in '91. Forever Night about the um, the pilot actually had Rick Springfield because, like, he's everybody's dream vampire. <laughs> he uh, He's a, a vampire trying to redeem himself by becoming a policeman who only works the night shift. Ah, um, it, as it, you do. It, interesting. And what, what I find kind of curious about this is a lot of these vampire stories come in the 90s after the advent of AIDS. Where, um, and if I'd make a quote from him, I've actually pulled this out. And this is a. Um, a theory that was well, has been written in a book by a, a lady called Mary Borsellino, who's a, a fantastic up-and-coming writer. And she's just written a, um, a, a vampire book for... Uh, it's going to be published later this year online called The Wolf House. 
And in it, one of the characters says, Frankenstein's not scary anymore because he became true. Essentially, you know, we can all have an arm sewn back on, we can have transplants, the body snatching and building body parts together. It's what we are now. You can't be scared of that because we've become it. And then one of the other characters go, oh, vampires, though, they're still scary because blood's scary or dirty or whatever now. AIDS turned being queer into this giant freaky thing where you're in danger because the people you slept with might have this deadly infection in their blood. And if you got it, then you're not properly alive anymore. And then one of the other characters tells them to, you know, get a life. That was the 80s and move on. But it's, um, it's, it's interesting that it's after blood became frightening that in the 90s you start getting all the vampire shows again. That, that is interesting. And it does follow a, a trend with horror stories uh, where they do take the, uh, the fears of the time and, uh, and, and move them on. It also sounds like, though, from the shows you, you, were, you were listing there, though, it's almost the shows in which we're meant to be siding with the vampires as well, which is interesting. I mean, those vampires aren't necessarily evil vampires, are they? They're, they're more misunderstood vampires. Yeah, but there's not, it's usually only one or two who are s- separating themselves from the rest of their kind. The good vampires who and have they're rejected actually, their They're essentially ways. going back to the whole idea of them being um, you know, the discriminated against group of people. They're the ones who are going to assimilate with us nice people. Right. And so they're going to be on our side and then help to kill the other bad guys. So they're and, not, and they're only going to drink pig's blood. And or in Forever Night it was actually a, a, a manufactured serum or weird plasma milkshake that somebody was making for him. Snappy Peppy, I think mm. it was called. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, uh, no, I completely forgot that question. <laughs> Entirely. Oh, my shiny brilliance is the knocking him out. Um, I was going to ask, uh, we mentioned before that, that soap operas seem to lend themselves to, to vampires to a degree. I mean, maybe I'm just thinking of Chances and, and Dark Shadows, but it does seem to be that, that you know, redemption storylines are a big one with vampires. Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's the whole thing about them being sexy because the whole being bitten on the neck thing and um, the original Dracula and the whole gothic drama, there's, it's about sex and death and, you know, everyone gets it. And, and let's face it, whenever you need a bit of a boost in the race, ratings for a, uh, for a soap opera, what's better than a marriage or sex and death? Mm-hmm. So a vampire can give you a little fillip of, of some excitement where really none exists. And <laughs> like in Home and Away? Yeah. Oh, I'd like to see it. Yeah, that vampire story from Home and Away, that was great. Yes, yes. Or, you know, as as we were discussing in another genre, you know, the Sweet Valley High books, and they just had a vampire pop up in there, just, you know, (laughs) spreading havoc in Sweet Valley High, which was a TV series, so I don't know if they ever filmed that one. They got to that one, number 183 in the series. We can hope. Uh, Yeah, I I was uh, a a big fan of, uh, it's, it's the big vampire, Charlie Brown. (laughs) <laughs> now you mentioned um, um, the ultraviolet as being one of the best, which is, is extremely good. What are some of the worst, Nirel? What's some, some absolutely <laughs> terrible television we can watch with well, vampires? In in the spirit of of uh, making sure that I was fully prepared for for this show, I did go on to uh, YouTube and watch a couple of the first two episodes of Vampire High. Ah, oh. which was something else. Right. <laughs> can I can I just guess? Stab in the dark. Is it about a high school full of vampires? Yes and no. Okay. They are full of vampires, but only at night. It's actually... <laughs> so, so, hey, it's a nice school for vampires. So, so vampires break into a high school at night and then learn things. <laughs> it's no, like it's, the breakfast club. It's, right. it's actually stranger than that. The, the um, premise is a little hard to follow because the whole um, opening voiceover... You get to the end of that and you go, no, I still don't know what happened. But there was some kind of <laughs> some kind of eclipse and some kind of battle between vampire tribes. And at the end of it, they decide the only way that vampires can survive is for them to learn to assimilate 
um, to human populations. So the um, the wise old vampire leader sends a small group of young vampires to boarding school, oh. which is a, a mixed boarding school by day, boys and girls together, and the vampires come out at night for their classes with the headmaster. Oh, that's Which so shit. Nice. <laughs> it gets it gets better. One of the vampires who's, you know, one of the baddest boys of the lot, he keeps hearing these little psychic um things and there's a young woman in the uh in the class at daytime who's like sighing wistfully into her um audio diary about how she wishes someone would come and rescue her from her loneliness and take her away from all this. So of course clearly she's wishing for a vampire to come and save her. Because she, you know, has no spine or brain to do it for herself. <laughs> and uh, so he keeps overhearing her and then breaking the rules by going in in daytime and rescuing her from her obnoxious boyfriend who, you know, basically, I've brought you flowers, let's have sex. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's odd. It's bad. And it's interesting that um, no matter how undead you are and what a kind of prince of darkness you might be, headmasters still know everything and still know better. <laughs> <laughs> what what year are we talking for this show? Um, that was made in 2001. Just one season. I can't imagine why. <laughs> it, I, I find it interesting that uh, vampirism has, has gone from uh, its origins in... in I, I mean, now, now you were saying that it's the fear of blood that, uh, that, follows, uh, that, that per, uh, propagates all, all these vampire stories. But uh, in the past, before... Uh, the, the advent of AIDS, as, as you say, uh, vampires were really about the curse of immortality more than they were about attacking you and, and uh, drinking your blood. That doesn't come out in these shows at all, except for Angel. Angel has uh, uh, really gone through the, the motions of how terrible it is to Even, to even Angel, though, when he was in Buffy... There was virtually no reference to that. Partly, I think, because Buffy was like 15 or 16. And to try and point out that there's like a 200-year-old guy going out with a 15-year-old. It's, it's creepy. Really creepy. Like, if you stop and think about it, it's incredibly creepy. But, but one of the things that they've, they've got in Buffy and Angel as well is that, you know, um, it's hard to see where the bad side is. You know, apart, I mean, yeah, your soul's in hell and you're possessed by a demon, but you still get to eat and drink and have sex. I mean, like, you could still do everything you did when you were human, so I'm not sure what the downside is. And uh, it's one of the reasons why in my books I've, I've taken quite a different tack with that, because I think there should be a significant downside. Well, but, you have but, to murder people to eat. Actually, not in my book, but... We'll go on. But there's, if you can have immortality and still do all the things you really love to do, then the only thing that's left is, oh, I feel really bad because I'm evil. And, you know, some people really enjoy that. You know? So... Um, there's, there's actually the whole curse of immortality is is not necessarily that much of a curse depending on your attitude to you know still being able to. Well, with the vampire Lestat, it turned into the curse of, of fandom when he was a rock star and then couldn't stand his fans. So it's, I found a really terrible, interesting, terrible, terrible, curse. Oh, terrible awful. curse. Yeah, that's I don't even get that. But anyway, Anne Rice <laughs> has a lot to answer for. Uh, you, you, you were saying so you saw Vampire High. And anything else on your appalling list we should be checking out? Um, there are some that I haven't seen myself, but uh, the, the quotes are just generally, you know, gouge out your own eyes before watching this, including Kindred the Embraced, which is based on the... Uh, uh, it's Aaron Spelling's foray into niche <laughs> TV is the quote that I have. Um, so it only lasted for seven episodes, so we can all be grateful for that. <laughs> 
So, did, did you see any of the Canadians show Blood Ties? No, I didn't. Um, I couldn't find any. To, it's, uh, in the in the time that I had to to watch, uh, it, it was it was fantastic because uh, again it was a vampire kind of detective, and uh, what a surprise! <laughs> There's and, a lot of them around, uh, and the vampire's secret power. I mean, sure, he had the vampire strength and uh, and and the vampire speed, but he also had the power of of persuasion, so he he could just say, "Open the door for me." <laughs> and so we'll go and open the door for them. You don't need to see my identification. These are not yeah. the droids you want. Exactly. It it's was, those droids. Over it there. Was, so, so he was the, the first, I think, Jedi vampire. <laughs> well, I mean, certainly in the, in the literature, there are a lot of vampire detectives uh, around. It's, you know, they're... Um, Vampires are now the heroes in a lot of books, um, and so the whole what it, whether or not the you know, the AIDS idea engendered stuff in the nineties has actually moved on, and there's different things um, pushing the uh, that exploration. I don't know um, all about that. There is a um, a section of uh, the literature unit at Monash where they've actually they're actually studying vampire literature. I actually um, went and uh, attended their vampire symposium. Uh, last year, and I didn't understand most of what they were saying. I just felt so. That's what I meant when I wrote that. Who <laughs> knew? <laughs> oh, yes. But th- there is there is one more totally appalling um, vampire show which we haven't talked about yet. Sesame Street. No, though yeah, because the, the, the Count. Yeah. We can't talk about television vampires without mentioning the Count. No, no. But I am in fact talking about the Lair. The Lair. The Lair. It's a spin-off from Dante's Cove. Right. So now you're a big fan of Josh. A massive, 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 fan. massive when, fan. When are they bringing that back? And the Lair is, in fact, a um, a sex club run by and for vampires. Oh, how tedious! Gay so, vampires, yeah. I think. A lot of gay vampires. A lot of very gay. The the um yeah, it's <laughs> very gay vampires. I watched an episode of this. And yeah, gay, yeah. The thing that frightened me most was the guy going, "Hi there, I'm Jason. Welcome to the club. It's for invitation only." <laughs> Is he the cross-eyed one? There's one of the he, guys. He was the extremely blonde one. Yes. Here's the number six on a card. I don't know how it works. The low, the low rent spike. Yeah. And there's yeah. I think the head vampire is actually cross-eyed. So whenever he comes out, he's working so hard not having his eyes crossed. The acting gets even worse. Um, there's only one female character in the whole show, and she is regularly beaten up by the only heterosexual man in the whole show, and everyone else is just you know. Getting off their kit and having soft, there cool is, porn yeah. sex whenever possible. You can watch this show on YouTube, which is where I was directed to it. And um, there is an amazing scene where the because uh, there's a journalist trying to uncover the, the truth about the lair, and um, there is a scene at the beginning where he just goes into a shower for about four minutes for no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> and because they can't they can't show any cock, it being a you know, TV thing. There's lots of ass, but no cock. Oh, no erect cock. Oh, there is dead cock. Dead cock. You, uh, dead people can have. There's a li- there's a lingering <laughs> shot of a dead naked man, and they sort of hovers around their hips for a quite a long time before moving on. But in your life, people, there's lots of these tilt downs, and then oh, cut the way just before anything. <laughs> and lots of lots of hairy men in leather harnesses writhing on top of each other or dancing on poles. And there's um the the so journalist, yes, as it were, and the the journalist. Uh, boyfriend gets killed early on, and then so they have lots of sex in their dreams. And uh, and the sh- there's a sheriff in it played by Colton Ford, who is a former porn star, and he acts in much the way a former porn star would. 
Right. <laughs> he's, so. he's, he's more undead than the actual vampires are. He's I mean, quite I, dreadful. I do think everybody should watch this show because it is. Um, I've, there's this fabulous word I've heard recently, cracktastic. It is fabulously cracktastic. It's just so bizarrely bad that you really ought to see it because it's very, very funny. See and, it and, drunk if you can. And it is available on YouTube. <laughs> it is. Channel YouTube. <laughs> you, can, you can buy official DVDs. It's, there were two seasons made. Lasted longer than Vampire High. The, uh, <laughs> they they may make a third. I don't know because it was just two thousand and seven was the first season. So extraordinary, N- Narelle. Thank you so much for joining us with your tales of television vampirdom. Uh, you're going to stick around though to talk about demons, uh, demons a, a UK show, uh, which will be coming up just after this little bit. Hi, I'm Adam Zwar. You might recognise my voice from ads for Four Australia Post. An HBA, or maybe from the phone calls I make to your house late at night. That's right. I make phone calls to your house late at night. I'm Adam Zwar, and you're listening to Box Cutters. That's my favourite one. That's I love your, that one. You love that I one. I do love that one. Well, I, I think it was also appropriately creepy for a, a show all about <laughs> vampires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Demons is a TV show from ITV in the UK. Uh, which follows the story of Luke Rutherford, uh, just a, a regular English, uh, just a regular English schoolboy, sixteen years old, who just lives in a million-dollar loft apartment and can't keep his shirt on. I'm sorry, I'm, <laughs> leaving, I'm leaving forward, and I go on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, he, uh, he he finds out one day that he has a godfather whose name is Rupert, and his godfather gives him uh, a series of photos that he's not allowed to open until he gets home. And when he does get home, he opens those photos and yes. sees that, uh, oh, they're pictures of his father holding him as a young boy. And on the back, someone has written the new VH or the next VH or Isn't the that last VH. It was a fruit juice. Huh. Yeah. The. Uh, uh, and we we soon discover, and when I say soon, I mean the next scene that uh, Luke's surname is actually Skywalker. Van, not sorry, Van Helsing, and he is the last in the line of Van Helsing vampire hunters. And his job now is to go around and hunt vampires with his uh, mentor Rupert, and uh, his. Uh, Best friend slash potential love interest Ruby and the uh, the other uh, potential love interest blind pianist Mina Harker. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> anyway, they uh, they they uh, go all around England town, uh, killing all sorts <laughs> of uh, all sorts of uh, poorly made up uh, vampires and other what they like to call half lives. Mm. Which are just uh, creatures who are not human and uh, want to do nothing but evil and deserve to be killed, lest they kill every single last one of people in the suburb that Luke lives in. I, I just realised that uh, my notes are still in my bag. I'd like to point out Crumpler Bags, wonderful, wonderful Velcro. There we go. It's, that's great. If you do want to get something out of your Crumpler Bag when you're in a cinema, try and open it before the film starts. It is, it is quite it is. hard to do it unobtrusively. Or at least really, really quickly. You're like yes. taking off a Band-Aid. Uh, so that's, uh, that's Demons. Uh, let's get on with the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so you liked uh, it then, Josh? Yeah. It, uh, you know what? I, I liked the, uh, the, the villain who his whole thing was just he had a fake nose. And, <laughs> and his name was Gladiolus. And his name is Gladiolus. Oh, Mackenzie Crook, we love you. Which is just pretty. The uh, 
I, I, I mean, we were talking uh, before the show, and I really think that uh, demons would work a lot better if the main character was female and if they were in <laughs> California. I just yeah. there's just something <laughs> something about it that that makes me think that yeah, and that and would be Rupert great. And if Rupert perhaps had been a stuffy Englishman instead of a wisecracking American, yeah. And you know what? He's not even a wisecracking American. No, he he's was Gene Hunt. He's now, Gene- yes, we should put out. He's Gene Hunt doing an American accent now. I, I, no, 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 no. Well, not doing an American <laughs> accent. Just kind of turning up and uh, and mumbling and some lines. Like, sounding sounding like, like Mr. Smith from The Matrix. I actually had a half page of full scap, which I'd written in crayon a few positive points about the show, which I sadly have left at home. So I'm going to try to remember <laughs> them now. Um, Look, Gene Hunt, yes, uh, or Philip Glenister, I do wish he'd been allowed to do this in his own accent. Well, apparently he was. He chose to do it in this. Because there are some lines... No, 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 it it had to be American. It was originally going to be Texan. Oh, okay. He ended up somewhere around Cincinnati, apparently. Um, Because he actually gets some lines that I think aren't too bad. And I think if they'd been done as Gene Hunt, they would have been absolutely brilliant. I like the bit when they're they're about to, you know, the water's rising incredibly slowly to drown them. And he's going, I've been, you know, watching your life, kid. And, you know, Luke's going, you've been well. Because I was hoping that was going to come across as caring instead of creepy and stalkerish. (laughs) Yeah, there's actually some, look, there's some decent lines in in here. Because this is the thing. I do feel a bit guilty. I brought this one to the table. I Mm haven't watched it. But um, <laughs> it is, it is. Look, there is no originality in this show whatsoever. It just is Buffy. It comes from a company. Apparently, a few years ago, made a show called Hex, which is a ripoff of Buffy. Like it's, it's this is their second attempt at ripping <laughs> off Buffy. This one, I think, more directly even than, than the previous version. But I mean, I do love Philip Glenister. I think he's, he's a fantastic actor. And there are moments in this where he's still like, even in the episode which is about his dead wife, which is largely unconvincing on all levels. There are moments where he's. <laughs> He's still, you know, he gets something out of it, um, and that's that's strange that that the th- that's the third episode of that uh, storyline's in, and the third one is the worst one because they've, well, they've avoided all the exposition in the first two episodes because this, he's such a surly bastard who won't talk about anything. Yeah, yeah this is what I was going to say too because the first two I was watching going, okay, I, I had heard by this I, point I it's got bad reviews, but yeah, I enjoyed yeah. them. I'm going nothing original, but I thought that was stylishly done. I thought there was some really nice cinematography quite enjoyed you know the I thought the pacing and the storytelling was better than than certainly torchwood and probably better than doctor who sorry John, you know. I, I was talking about demons <laughs> <laughs> well i, I liked all this and i, I like the music as well i, I think it's uh, one of the the shames is that the um the pace and energy of the script and the characters actually doesn't live up to the promise of the the theme music or, or the music that's used in the episodes. It's, it's another it's another show. I see. I didn't think the theme music was very good. In fact, I, I didn't think it fit at all. And the uh, but if they'd made the show that fit with the theme music, I think we'd be having <laughs> so a lot saying, more fun because it starts off with monsters in the kitchen. It's very lively. It's kind of. Um, um, how would you describe yeah, it? But, but it's kind of funky and, and funny. Um, and and I, the, I actually think one of the main changes you could make is if you turn Mina from a you know, boring, prissy concert pianist into a kick-ass bass player in a grunge punk band, that already you'd have a lot more energy well, I, so. I, mean, I don't mind Mina as a character. I actually, so, so you, know. you mean if she was more like... Oz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if Mina was Oz, we'd, we'd already be doing so much better. Yeah. Because, I mean, I didn't mind Mina as, as a character. I, I didn't mind Gene Hunt. It was just that thing of, <laughs> you know, trying to change. And it was the problem, the lack of originality on all levels, I think, is, is the real problem with this. So, like, that first episode, I kind of enjoyed. I went, look, you're not doing anything new, but, you know, your plot goes from A to B, but I think you're doing it okay. You know, I would probably enjoy this if I was 
heating some baked beans, for example. This I would laughed be, yeah. a lot. I mean, I laughed I, I so th- much. I shouldn't. <laughs> That's not good, is it? It's not necessarily a good thing, Yorel. I laughed almost as much as when I watched The Lair. But it was when I got to that third episode in particular, and, and we were saying the, the kind of quasi-girlfriend everybody, character. everybody turned into an idiot in the, fir- well, in the third episode. The quasi-girlfriend character, who I, I kind of like the fact that she, was, she was the normal Ruby, because yes, the, because the Kaiser Chiefs song of the same name plays very loudly on the soundtrack <laughs> at one mm. point. Um, she, she's. Uh, I thought the only ordinary person. Yeah, you know, we're told that 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 boy character. I can't remember his name. At all. Luke. 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 We're told Luke is you know Luke. chosen by destiny. R- Rutherford or Van Helsing, whichever way. Whatever you want I want to go. It. Skywalker. Um, everyone else is kind of you know. She's the only kind of ordinary, completely not connected person. And I actually thought that was kind of interesting. And then the second episode, you know, we mentioned she glasses one of the, the demons in the face. In you the face. go, girl. That was fantastic. She's cornered. First time she's seen this. I'm damn if I'm going to be eaten by a demon. But then by the third episode, she can't work out how to fire a gun, and she's yeah. going to kind of tripping over her heels or that was, spraining an ankle or whatever. That I was just, the weird transition in character because two minutes earlier in the back of the car she's going so do I get a gun can mm. I have a gun do I mm. get a gun I? and then and he's saying no we've only got one gun and uh, and then he gives her the gun and she just kind of holds it going <laughs> yeah what do I do with it do I shake it I mean that's got to be easier than glassing something in the face surely just pull the gun and trigger <laughs> yeah very irritating. I did read one review from the UK mentioning that, that they thought the, the I mean, yes, yeah, originality, there is none. But they said beyond that, the fact that the lead is a charisma-free zone. Yeah, you know, that Luke is just... Yeah, you know, it's just terrible. He takes his shirt off occasionally. That seems to be his skill. And even that's a bit of a damp squib. It's not something I'm interested in, but, you know, <laughs> to each their own. But it was just that thing of, of yeah, it's kind of an odd show that to put all that effort in and, and no one going, oh, hang on, we haven't actually added anything new yeah. to and this. I also uh, found it quite difficult, especially in, at the very beginning of the first episode, to tell whether someone was uh, a vampire with their horrible vampire teeth or just a regular British person <laughs> with their horrible <laughs> vampire teeth. <laughs> I'm here all week. Yeah. I, I want to know more about the missing character, the chauffeur, Mina's chauffeur, because he knows everything, <laughs> I've become but quite we never see him. And I, I was watching the third episode with my niece, Jessica, and she was going... Does the chauffeur do her hair and makeup as well? I mean, does, what else does I, he do? I did wonder about that, especially her lipstick in episode three. It's, is, it's gorgeous. And you're thinking, who, who does this for I, you? I, I do like uh, uh, that people are very willing to believe that these uh, vampires and uh, and uh, what have you exist, the, the hooded... Uh, the, the They're hooded wearing hoodies. Cool I love the hoodie werewolf. I love them. I thought they were great. I love the hoodie wearing... But, but that whole last episode, it's all very Snoop Dogg. Again, this is all, all Jesse going to go, hey, he's like Snoop Dogg, yo, hey, Mr. Tibbs, here's his homies coming to, you know, bust some moves, he's keeping his dirty hoe in a cage. Mr. Tibbs, probably the least evil name for a villain <laughs> yes. ever. Mr. Tibbs, in episode three, though, I, I actually thought that was a brilliant concept, that he's he's a, a giant rat who does experiments on humans because he thinks it's funny. I thought <laughs> That was a fantastic that's, concept that was in no way used. No, it, and that's it, it wasn't used. But people have no problem believing any of this. But believing that a blind woman can play piano, they're constantly <laughs> amazed. Constantly amazed. Oh my. How can you? How do you know which keys to press? I've got to say, I was so disappointed though when they go, "Here's Mina, here's Ruby." Oh, look, they're bitching at each other because that's what ladies do. You know, yeah, yeah. Of, I don't have any friends, just people I bitch at. Yeah, because yeah. everyone's bitching because they want topless boy. But it's just that thing of like, it was so sad to see the two female characters. Well, backdoor test here. You know, the, 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 they're put in there just to bitch at each other about the man. That's that's all they do. They never work together. There, there is nothing uh, good, original. 
or uh, interesting about demons. Actually, just I would say nothing. Thinking about how stupid Ruby she is, and I would say this is a spoiler, but it's demons. Um, there was that bit in the third episode where, in order to get rid of a bomb, she decides to go looking for b- books on exactly. bomb disposal yes. rather than ring someone, get out of the building, drag the bodies away. Anything practical. Carry it like, out the front door. Yeah, the just come in. I actually really admire the fact that she wasn't willing to let the books burn. But also that, that point, though, when she goes, okay, I'm going to look up a book, I, and she keeps moving from the book to the bomb. It's like, take the book closer to the bomb. It's like, it's just there. Just move. It's just, you know. I mean, she's a modern girl. I'm surprised she knows what a book is. Surely she'd be trying to Google it. You know? Well, we did but this I, hilarious I'm, that- I'm with Brett, though. Why doesn't she just take the bomb outside? Yeah. Also, the first thing, she sees a bomb. Her first uh, reaction is to call someone on her mobile. And Chris actually was watching with me and went, yeah, that's what modern kids do. <laughs> But also, while while she's trying to defuse the bomb and not finding the the blue wire, the red wire to be able to cut because it's blue and green, um, the two are, are stuck in the the sewer that's slowly filling up. Slowly yeah, under a grate that has a door in it that wasn't that locked wasn't at all. Jesus, then you're like, well, Jess and I are just going, why don't they just you know open the grate? Well, I, I was just thinking, boost. Was- Worst case scenario, because they're all going, oh, we're going to drown. We're going to, as they're getting closer and closer to this grate, we're going to drown. We're going to drown. Well, why don't they just stick their lips outside of the grate? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, Jess and I also wanted to know why it is they'd gone on this particular mission without the gun. Yes. Yeah. They had no weapons. See, I mean, the thing, I was willing to forgive the show. Episodes one and two, I mean, look, you know, nothing original, but enjoyable enough. Um, great use of London locations. You know, some really nice uh, uh, cinematography of exteriors and, and, and use of location. But then, yeah, that third episode was really bad. And then I also watched Being Human, the new um, supernatural series from the UK, which is absolutely brilliant. And kind of went, oh, yeah, that show's shit, isn't it? <laughs> like, suddenly it was that thing of going, oh, yeah, this show's actually really bad. And they're, they're also, they're, they're trying to classify different, uh, different levels of... Uh, kind of undead or half-life or whatever it is that they want to they want to call I quite them. I like that though. That, that was, really, there's a type yeah. nine entity. It, they're, they're just trying to. It, it's like they're just trying to take stuff from oh, Star Trek and, and, then. Vi- and or D and D. I'm saying Victor Meldrew like with, his, with his plus six sto- uh, sort of fortitude in the second episode that that glows very much like a lightsaber. <laughs> Victor Meldrew as a, a, a zombie priest. I actually thought he was great. I thought that was actually a really nice touch to, to you know, that was a contribution. Oh, to the that's genre. Uh, Father Simeon. Yes. 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 Yeah. He, he was um, very grumpy and uh, and actually quite enjoyably grumpy. Yes, he was. I he thought. was quite fun. Yeah, he I enjoyed him. I actually also really liked the, um, the inappropriate use of um, old style language so that they were called smiters. The word smite, like, go yeah. Go smite, you know, like we're just giggling. Gene I'm going to smite in. my way to your heart. Yes. Mm. And Gene Hunt running and going, I'm going to smite you good. I was like, yeah. <laughs> but I is- feel my wrath, you freak. <laughs> smite, smite, smite. <laughs> this is my problem. If, if, it was, if it was funnier, it would be a great comedy. Mm-hmm. If it was scarier, it would be a great horror show. It's neither, though. And if it was less bad, it would be good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it yeah, you know, and if it was a pumpkin, it'd be a pumpkin. I mean, I don't, where are you going with this? What, I'm, what I'm saying is that, uh, much like vampires, demons live between two worlds. The show lives between <laughs> two worlds. That's what I'm saying. Right. I'm saying it's neither fish nor fowl. It's it not alive. Bet- it falls between it's two stools. Dead. No, I, I actually guess. think it's quite foul, but, you know... <laughs> Nirel, thank you so much for, for joining us on Box Cutters and, and sticking around to talk about demons. Thank you for uh, um, allowing me to have demons as part of my life. It's, uh, yeah, you can blame John for that. I yes, will. Sorry. I do. Uh, and, uh, and maybe we'll have you on uh, next time that there's a, a new vampire show, which should be, well, we're in February now, March. 
Oh, excellent. I Should look be. forward to that. I'm, I'm sure there is one <laughs> is just the, around the corner. That's where they're coming. They're like trams. They are like trams. Oh, well, we haven't really looked at True Blood, have we? No. Well, I have. And I'm hoping we'll look at Being Human, but I have to wait for these boys to forgive me. But Being Human, I think we should have a look at in a few weeks. I'm, uh, well. I'm looking forward to that as well. Mm-hmm. Are you one of those that follows... Follows the ads. I can talk as much as I want. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July. Go down on you. Thanks very much to a listener who brought in for us... Jet Girl. Jet Girl. Jet Girl. She, she brought in this, I don't buy it. She, uh, she wrote to us, over the Australia Day long weekend, I had the misfortune to see that stupid Big Bond commercial where the dumb dad gets a dressing down from a teacher for passing on his dumb genes to his innocent but still dumb child. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. What does January 26 mean to Australians? Everyone gets a day off to watch cricket. I see. Next time, maybe you should mention the tennis as well. Learn more with Big Pond Broadband. Continues Jack Girl, but I don't buy it. For starters, the so-called child is dressed in a grey polo neck, skivvy and woolen jumper, making him look as though he has accidentally put on a costume designed for a middle-aged character playing a bank teller in a dreary 1940s British. Or is that English? United Kingdom. Whatever. (laughs) Kitchen sink drama. In essence, he just looks like a creepy little (laughs) man-child. Then we have the dad who, with his shock of white hair and face reminiscent of a crumpled sheet, is surely too old to be the father to this small man-child. Seriously, he looks like he's in his 70s. While I am all for the diversity of the Australian family unit, and I understand that being a dad is not about your age, this particular casting choice is so wrong that I just can't get past it. And as if this isn't bad enough in the final shot, as the two walk down the school corridor, it is revealed that the shuffling, hunched-over old dad (laughs) is only about 15 centimetres taller than his child, who is in junior school. (laughs) Is this the most mismatched and poorly chosen casting of a family unit on television ever? And a message to you, Big Pond. Not only do I not buy it, I don't even know what you're selling because I can't sit through your weirdy, oldie, man-child-filled adverts. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jet Girl. That's brilliant. Jet Girl, that is is fantastic. Uh, I thought he was wearing a school uniform. But uh, no, no, you've pointed me in the right direction. He is wearing weird, old, young man-child clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy it either. Larry Postman, have a letter. Did you read it? You're a godsend. Savior. No, I'm, I'm just postman. The postman. The postman. The postman. I think you best start, John. We had quite a few letters this week. Do you know what the letters were about, Josh? Do you know what they might have been in response to? How, uh, how, how manly my voice is? No, what did you do last week, Josh? What did you do on this show? I killed John Updike. You killed John Updike. Now, what are the chances of a TV podcast ever talking about highly acclaimed author John Updike? It's fairly small. Josh felt the need to, to bring up the day after... Updike was dead. Now, can I point out that it does seem to just be me because Brett apparently killed Joss Whedon a, c- a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Nothing happened. What? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. But yeah, you, you did. Uh, you, 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 you said. 
you, you did say something about Joss Whedon and dying. I'm was... nervous that you've just said something about Joss Whedon and dying. Ah! Josh. <laughs> Cut it out of the show! If you've killed Joss Whedon, I'm going to be miffed. Okay. Oh. Amongst the letters we received, Sheila Buchanan says, you people have either got to stop talking about the great and elderly or at least pick on people that nobody likes. Take a poll next episode on who your listeners want you to discuss and thereby condemn to the pits of hell. Louise says, you could use your powers to smite the unworthy. Stephanie BG adds, I'm suddenly, great to, suddenly glad to be youngish, unfamous and unworthy of your attentions. I want to live. Um, on, on, the, on the blog, Jen said, one can't help but wonder if the mere mention of John Updike had anything to do with his passing. He won't be collecting any royalties now. <laughs> uh, Mark sent a, a message through... Um, on behalf of all B-grade TV celebs, please stop using their name in your satanic news rituals. We're all onto you dancing around your laptops looking for another poor retired actor to finish off. <laughs> um, there was an anonymous one saying, Dear Box Gutters, stop killing people. OMG, now we know what's happened to Ross. You're probably ki- killing off the, qu- the quiz winners too. Yours, mumble something inaudible. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, that, that's just a selection of, of the things people felt a need to, to mention about poor old John Aptok. Well, uh, just, just in case I'm not doing enough wrong. Uh, Who are you going to kill now? Well, this isn't good, but last week, uh, another Peter Box Cutter, not the original Peter Box Cutter, but a, a newer Peter Box Cutter, wrote an email in, and uh, yeah, I made fun of uh, his spelling. I did. It's, that's not a common thing to do in this uh, this new on-age, uh, always-connected... Post-Facebook, n- post-iPod world. No-proof-reading world. I know. And so, and, and so does Peter, new Peter Boxcutter, because he's, uh, he's written a, a letter to Boxcutters, mm. and hooray at boxcutters.net. Uh, hooray. Starting with Josh. Thank you. Or one word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, just... For the public go at me for my spelling and grammar mistakes in the email I sent you last week. I listened to your show on Friday, and it finished of the week nicely after a fantastic (laughs) week. Let me explain. I go to work. The boss is nasty. Go home on the train. Oh, yes, that's right. The train is delayed or cancelled. Get home and turn on the aircon. Wait, no power. At least I can water my garden. Oh, yes, I remember. I can only water in the morning on certain days when I am not home. And wait, no water either. Now that my emails have bad grammar, I am sure my house will be burnt down in a bushfire and my ticket to hell has been booked. <laughs> Thankfully, I can look up to you guys. Anyway, I look forward to the next show. No, really, I am. Now I have vented. Group hug. Have a great show, Peter Boxcutter. You're, Thank you're you. the only host who picks on you know people who are lovely enough to send us these messages. And no, you have to have a go at him, Josh. That's just you know. What, I, I, all I'm trying to do is encourage better use of the English English language. <laughs> English language. English language. Um, That's all I'm trying to do. Uh, Peter, thank you very much for for your email. I I found that very entertaining. (laughs) And then I've got a couple of bits just not involving Josh being an asshole, so there's not many of them. Um, (laughs) Catbrain says, hey, what's the diss of whodunit? Granted, I'm not a fan of exclamation marks in titles, but it was great family entertainment. I mentioned whodunit last week. I actually really loved whodunit, so I'm not sure what I I said to to slag it off, because I actually also was a huge fan of whodunit. To to Catbrain, I say, you're great family entertainment. Yeah. And then finally, you may uh, remember last week I, I mentioned that Mandy Patinkin, that the Mandy is, is short for Amanda, uh, a text came in. 
Mandy is short for a man. Duh. <laughs> Thank you for that text. Which, which I, I found a little bit uh, reminiscent of the anagram of uh, the main character in Tales of the City. Uh, a, uh, a man and a yes, girl. Yes, Anna Mandrickle. A man and a girl. If you want to send us texts, you can 0458 Cutter or send us an email, hooray at boxcutters.net. You can also click on the Talk to Box Cutters link on the website at boxcutters.net. Which probably works. And yet, no, that one does work. Oh, it does? Oh, it does, okay. it does work, although I haven't tested in IE7 yet. <laughs> Eventually, you'll probably be able to put up a comment on the blog. Oh, you can put up comments now. Yeah. Especially if you're a spammer. Go crazy. <laughs> ah. We got nothing stopping you So you don't you even now. have to register on, on the blog no, anymore? No, it should, be, it should be free and open to all. Go ahead. Mm. Comment. Comment your hearts out. We'll try to get the discuss stuff working uh, a little bit uh, later on. Like I said, hopefully uh, before this time next week. Well, the kismet and uh, spam karma should be, uh, and, and bad behaviour should be filtering out most of the stuff. You'd think. Yeah. And yet. Have you been taking stuff down? A little bit, yeah. Oh. Some of it from episode 14, which strangely got a mention a couple of weeks ago. So not only am I killing humans, I'm also creating spam for... On previous episodes. years ago episodes of, of Box You're Cutters. a frightening man, Josh. Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod. Cast. Done. Pork is on the table. Something that uh, Wilbur Wilde was telling us he was very impressed with uh, in our special edition, Charlie, uh, was Mad Men, which is actually coming up on SBS. Uh, SBS? On SBS. That is a For its free-to-air launch. And uh, that'll be on April 16. So that, that'll sure be... exactly uh, what day that is. is. Is that the only place you can see Mad Men with ads? <laughs> what well, the the original show has ads that they remake, as we heard. Yeah, but, as you probably know. So SBS is just making it feel more authentic. Of right. The experience. Right. Thank you, SBS, for putting ads on. Well done. Pepsuba. Oh. <laughs> That's what I say. I say Pepsuba. Now, speaking of SBS and, and ads and stuff, they've, they have been uh, screwing around with the length of or the, the number of ads that they put in and, and putting in on 30-second ads, screwing with uh, people's skip functions on their PVRs and, and such. Uh, oh, so are, they, are they putting in scads? Sk- no. No, not, not that I've seen as yet. Um, but I am sure that uh, an episode of Top Gear a few weeks ago was, was cut uh, for length because it had the opening titles and then came in on that on that uh, crane over the audience into Jeremy saying hello and welcome and then went straight into the first story, the first film. Ooh, so like you think something really obviously was pulled out there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So w- was Brett talking about Top Gear on SBS again uh, and I then think, them doing he, something I bad to... I think he mentioned it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Now Sean Brown's not happy that... Uh, <laughs> That's who does Sean Brown work for? Sean Brown's the SBS. <laughs> is he the king of Top Gear? Uh, no, you, is, you and Sean Brown have to work this out. Yeah, you uh, do. You know, the two of you just need to sit down together, have a cup of tea, and just just work this. The man yeah. who wants to put ads on ABC, mm-hmm. the 
the the English uh, John Howard appointee who he wants to put scads at our common mass. Been, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's he's not happy that a merger of the ABC and SBS has not been ruled out, which uh, according to a report, hang on, he's not hang happy. On, he's he's th- not happy th- that, that the merger hasn't been ruled out. No, but but he, he, I think he'll lose a job if if but they he was, merge. He was Wasn't saying he that wanted to merge. He they said, should merge, and everyone should have ads. No, he doesn't. He doesn't like want them like to merge. any no, no, almost, like any good no, communist was, society. Everyone should have ads. To merge. Is that what it is? He basically wanted to threaten to merge in order to get what he wanted, and now he he wants them to rule it out. Now that that didn't work for him, uh, I'm not following. But a uh, a scenario of Sorry, high integration, a high integration between SBS and ABC by the Boston Consulting Group, uh, Clay looks to be able to save the two stations an annual forty five million dollars. Sean Brown's response to that was, the consultants not acknowledge that all costs are approximations and were not provided by SBS, which casts serious doubts on the reality of any potential savings. He then said, I know you are, but what am I? <sighs> You're clearly Sean Brown. The ABC's <laughs> clandestine report simply confirms what we long suspected, that ABC management has long harboured a desire to take over SBS. But Sean Brown said he wanted them to take over SBS about no, four no, weeks no, no. ago. He wanted them to merge, not be taken over. Oh. Ultimately, he continues... The proposal results in no significant cost savings, a loss of more than 125 jobs at the ABC and SBS, and a threat to investment in the independent production sector. Okay, I've got, I've got an answer that's going to make everybody happy to this whole problem. Sean uh, Brown, are you listening? Are you uh-huh. listening, Sean? <laughs> SBS can merge with Channel 4. Oh, that'd be great. And then we get the channel for SBS... And everybody's happy. Hitler documentaries coming out the wazoo. <laughs> more than, more than you can know what to do oh, with. Hitler docos is film four releases. Yeah, yeah. cinemas. Topless Hitler doc. You know, <laughs> no, there's Channel Five. Channel Five. There's Channel Five. There's topless Hitler darts. <laughs> but yeah, it, it could really be. All Hitler, all the time. Here's a repeat of South Park. That's uh, that's. Pretty I'm, much I'm it. curious to see what Sean Brown's going to say next week because it seems to be that you know, we can just spin a wheel randomly and see what Sean Brown wants to announce. You know how much shorter our shows would be if Sean Brown didn't say anything one week. They'd just be cut down. Yeah, big gap. In just the cut down. That brings us to the oh. end. What? I, I, I have had a week of, of watching a lot of stuff, and, and one of oh, them was, well, was most of most of the a, second series of Californication. Right. Which did you bother to uh, to keep up I with? I watched that, all of it. That one? Yes. Did you find that there was there was a distinct change in, in uh, the, the main character, Hank Moody, in that, and, and that he's actually quite a moral character? Uh, I... Did, yes. Well... He was always a moral character, but with uh, but he was a selfish character. And then in the I'm second sure season, in the second season, he became less selfish, but pretty much equally as as moral as as he was. I mean, the the fact that he, he never reflected though on on stuff that went against his morals. I feel about the, the show finished, and you guys are just now chatting. Well, the show did finish. I tried to finish it. Remember? Remember when I tried <laughs> no, to finish is, it? This is my quick. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Don't don't finish yet. <laughs> But a much better uh, series than the first one. No, Greg gets really sad when we leave. He cries. He does. Because there's no one left. He goes goes up to the window and watches us walk away and makes this noise. (laughs) It's like a little Labrador. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 167. I want to thank our guest, Narelle M. 
Harris. You can find her book, The Opposite of Life, in any good vampire bookstore. That's a, a store that sells vampire books. Not run by vampires. Not run by vampires. Which would only be open at night. Because you, sh- you shouldn't be run by vampires. You should run from vampires. <laughs> True. Yay! Thanks for coming in, Narelle. That was a fascinating chat. Also, thanks very much to Crumpler, uh, who give us support. Thanks very much to 3RRR, whose studios we use for recording this podcast each and every week. You can catch them on the web at rrr.org.au. Or on the FM band at 102.7 in Melbourne and surrounding suburbs. If you want to send us a text, you can 0458 Cutter or an email to hooray at boxcutters.net. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast and, uh, you know, it, everything aside from that last couple of minutes, you should have. <laughs> please go on to, uh, I don't know, the iTunes Music Store, any television website you can think of. Cookery websites. Cookery, cookery websites. Uh, if, you've, if you've got a tough challenge that's going to bring listeners to the Box Cutters family... Uh, then send it in to us because we've got a, a stoken giveaway that uh, we do need to figure out how we're going to give away. And if you've got a sentence to finish without being interrupted, <laughs> uh, you can leave a review on <laughs> one of those sites. <laughs> Until next week. I thought you were done. Weren't you done? Wasn't he done? He doesn't pay it. He doesn't listen to me. Have you noticed that? Jim? I wasn't listening. <laughs> Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. After the tennis, same bat time, same bat channel. And hey, let's be careful out there.